Hello and welcome to Antioch Community Church, uh, Brighton. My name is John Lux, and I have the privilege of serving here as the Young Adult Coordinator. Alongside, all right. Let's hear it for our sound team. These guys work overtime. Did you guys see those moves? I'm really thankful for the way you guys serve. All right. So, uh, again, my name is John Lux. I have the privilege of serving here uh, as the Young Adult Coordinator alongside Phil Masterson. The two of us are referred to as the two-headed monster uh, of ministry at Antioch Brighton. And uh, I hope that you get to know us and find out why. (laughs) All right. So we're working right now through a sermon series in the book of Exodus, looking at the life of Moses. And uh, last time I preached in this series, I issued something of a challenge to this church. Some people like challenges, some people don't. Personally, I'm a challenge guy. And I issued this challenge saying, hey, I challenge you guys to listen to the audio Bible on your commute and go through the book of Exodus. And so Phil's going to come up. Now it's time to stand and deliver. Phil has Antioch swag for anyone in this room who can say, I listened to the book of Exodus on audio. You don't need to stand up and do anything weird. Just kind of give the signal, and Phil will come and find you and distribute the glory, okay? Yeah, come on now, Bruce. That's what I'm talking about. All right. (laughs) All right. And why, why were we issuing this challenge as a church? Because the book of Exodus and the life of Moses are relevant to us. You can, go, you can secretly find Phil on your way out if you're not, if you're not ready to, to claim that for yourself right now. All the more credit to Bruce then. All right. And um, the book of Exodus and the life of Moses. What God did in the life of Moses is for every single one of us. And what God did in creating a people for himself is for every one of us. A promise for us in transition and every other part of that book of the Bible. And um, before I really get into our message today, I've got to say thank you. So I have the great fortune of uh, crafting my sermons with the help of a team. So I just want to say a quick thank you to Caitlin, Ron, Maddie, Emily, Bethany, and especially to Neil Crook, who helps me out to um, put together the theological uh, aspects of each sermon. All right. Okay. So to recap where we've been so far. God's people were in bondage, in slavery, in the land of Egypt for about 450 years. And God uh, raises up a deliverer, this man Moses, right? He grows up in the household of Pharaoh, uh, uh, has these events in his life where he becomes exiled, living in the desert, taking care of someone else's sheep, minding his own business, and comes across the burning bush. God speaks to him from the burning bush God tells him who Moses is. God tells him who God is, and God gives him the vision for his life. Go to the land of Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And God performs incredible miracles in the land of Egypt until God's people are set free. And they walk out of slavery forever, and they walk into freedom in the desert. And God opens up the waters of the Red Sea so that his people can pass through on dry land and be rescued. They had experienced God's power, and now they were free. Now they were the people of God. And they march out into the desert, and their destination is this place called Mount Sinai. Now, just like God met with Moses through the burning bush, now God is bringing all the people to Mount Sinai for a similar encounter. 
God is going to tell them who God is. God is going to tell them who they are. And God is going to prepare them to then go to the promised land. That's the, the happening here at Mount Sinai. And that's where uh, this part of the book of Exodus takes place. Now, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai to meet with God. And the people are down in the camp. Moses leaves his brother Aaron in charge. That was not a great choice, as you're about to find out. In Exodus 32.3, it says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Must have been a long time up there. Aaron answered them, uh, Take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. Uh-oh. Fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel. Who brought you up out of Egypt? Okay? So, uh, God is meeting with Moses up on the mountain. They're dialoguing uh, and talking about the law of God. Among other things, the Ten Commandments, which explicitly prohibit idolatry. Right? And so just to bring home uh, exactly what this means in the biblical context, our own head pastor, Mark Buckner, is out for a couple of Sundays. In a few weeks, he will return. Right? And so you can pack a picture, you know, Mark sitting up front, just enjoying church. And then, uh, then the setup team, William and Tim Lash, out from the storage area, they wheel this giant gold statue. And suddenly our worship turns from the one true God, and we're worshiping this created image. Can you imagine that it might bother Mark Buckner a little bit? <laughs> having invested some small part of his life in cultivating worship for Jesus at this church that he might be a little bit offended, he might feel a little disappointed, right? And you can imagine that God would feel the same. And uh, I want to give a quick definition of what exactly idolatry is. Um, lots of places in the world, worship of statues and idols is a big part of life. Here in the United States, less so. So I want to uh, give a, a clear definition of it. All right, what is idolatry? Idolatry is worshiping a God that we ourselves have created, one that we have chosen, and setting that in the place of or above the worship of God himself. All right? And why is it important to identify idolatry? Because we are all predisposed toward it as human beings. We are predisposed toward idolatry. We would much prefer at times to have a God that we can see and control and interact with in a way that we are in charge of. Rather than the unseen God who made everything which cannot, who cannot be dealt with easily. In a concrete way, like, like you can with a statue, right? Um, in our pride, we create an idol in the place of God. And let me, just, let me just spell it out. God has always hated idolatry. He's always hated it. God has never gotten into idolatry. Here's what he says in Exodus 4.20. This is one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or the waters below. Pretty comprehensive. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And check this out. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God does not want to share the glory that's due to him with any representation of him, with any idea of him, with any man-made created construct that would want to take the place of God because that worship is for him. And furthermore, 
all along throughout the whole Old Testament and all of history, God knows that there is a perfect representation of his likeness in Jesus Christ, right? So we know that Jesus lived out and embodied a perfect representation of who God is. All of God's glory, all of God's nature was in Jesus Christ. And so we don't need some idol to worship. We can come to the person of Jesus and know God. All right. Now let's get right into it here. Exodus 33, 1 through 4. This is what God says to Moses after this moment of betrayal and idolatry. And really, like, to illustrate why this is such a big deal, this betrayal. Um, so when I was in high school, or I was uh, in high school, I was a, a, a punk rocker. And so if you can picture me with a mohawk that was dyed blonde uh, and ripped jeans, like, that was my outlook on the world. And... Um, and the, the, the harshest thing you could say to someone if you were a punk was to call someone a sellout. Because a sellout is someone who traded paper for plastic. Somebody who went from the authentic, the real, the deep, the rich, the gritty, and traded it in for like the commercialized, the highly marketable, palatable. Right? Someone who had sold out on what was real for what was cheap and what was fake. All right. Now let's catch right here in uh, Exodus 33, 1 through 4. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your, to, to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, uh, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Okay. Um, for us as Bostonians, our worldview is shaped in a lot of ways by kind of a, uh, a corporate company uh, way of thinking. And so we've got to be thinking, well, what about our deliverables? Our deliverables are mostly intact here. Our desired outcomes, we've mostly got them preserved. And so we can say, it's okay. It's not that big a deal. He still says we're going to get the land, and he still says the land is still flowing with milk and honey. He says that we're going to go up to it. We can still have it. It's okay. Right? Not okay. You know, but for us, we would be saying, oh, let, let's print the newsletter. Let's send out the email. Let's, let's, you know, share our quarterly report. Let the shareholders know we can still go to the promised land, milk and honey. But Moses is fixated on the words of God that say, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people. And the imagery is that their necks are so stick, stiff that God cannot direct them where to go. They are unyielded to God. And this, this verb in Hebrew, I, that I might destroy you along the way, it, it would be a good verb to describe the relationship between a shark and a harbor seal on the Discovery Channel. Okay? It would be a good word to describe the relationship between forest and forest fire, okay? Uh, that is what this word destroy is connecting with, and it, it leaves nothing to the imagination there, okay? Um, all right, and this sermon series is called Lessons from the Life of Moses. We're about to learn a big one. Check this out. So Moses, God, God has told Moses, listen, you guys are going to go up, but I am not going with you. You can still have the land but my presence is not going to go with you uh, because you've chosen this idol to worship instead of worshiping me. You've chosen this idol to relate to 
instead of relating to me. This is how Moses responds to God. This is so beautiful. If you've got your Bible, open up your Bible. Take a look at this with me. Exodus 33.1. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name. And you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways. So that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. Whoa. That is what makes Moses tick inside. When he says your presence, that word your presence literally means God himself. It means you yourself, God, can be translated that way. Not just the presence of God, that feeling, but that the presence of God, God himself is what we mean when we say that. And let's look at this whole passage again. We're going to focus on the way that Moses is responding to God. This is intercession, this kind of communicating. Moses has absolutely no plan B. When I asked the prophetic team, what do you think that God is communicating to our church to this? They said, desperation for God. There is no plan B. There is no other option. It brings back the image of, of Jacob wrestling with God. He's wrestling with God and he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And God is moved by that. That's, that's an approach that God desires. And I was thinking about what this feels like. And it's like when I'm trying to leave to go to work and my three-year-old comes up and he just grabs on my leg like a barnacle. He's not making an intellectual argument to win me over. He's holding on to me with all of his three-year-old strength, and he says, I will not let you go. You will have to walk out the door with me on your leg like this, okay? And I'm moved by that, right? I'm not unmoved by my son attaching himself to my leg and saying, I will not let you go because he's desperate to be with me. Moses is saying, I don't want an idol to represent you. I don't want an angelic deliverer to come and give me victory. I want to be with you. Even if we're stiff-necked and we risk your anger, we want to be with you. He said, you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me, but if you are pleased with me, 
Would you teach me your ways? This is the prayer of Moses. Would you teach me your ways so that I can know you? So that I can know you and continue to find favor with you. We have a tendency, I find this in myself so much, we have a tendency to create something from our own energy, from our own vision, from our own perspective, and then begin to live it out and say, God, this is the life that I made. Would you come and bless it? This is the purpose I created for myself. Would you come and breathe on it and make it alive? But that is how golden calves get made. When we say, would you come and bless the thing that I have chosen, the thing that I have set up. But listen to what Moses says. Would you just show me your way so that I might know you? And then look at his argument. This is, this is what his intercession says to God. God. God actually says yes immediately to him. God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God was just, God was eager to answer. But Moses, now Moses is not one over. And so Moses goes at him again. He says, he says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. So basically Moses is saying, if your presence is, is not going to go up with us, so you say go up and take the land, that's what you want, God? He's saying, if you're not going to come up with us, we're not going anywhere. Now Moses does not disobey God casually in his words, right? Anybody read through the Bible? Moses wrote the book of Leviticus. That's him, okay? You can believe that Moses takes seriously the need to obey the words of God. But here he says, he says, unless your presence is going with us, we will not obey your command to go up from here. Do not send us up. So in Antioch, we really tap into Isaiah 6. In the spirit of Isaiah 6, that's our mission's mantra. Here I am, Lord, send me. And that's beautiful when we give ourselves our life as an offering to God. But this is saying the opposite in some ways. It says, if you are not coming with me, I am not going anywhere. If you are not leading us up to the promised land, then I am not going to go there. Now Moses is not sort of being a flake here. He's, he's not saying, I will not do my job. I will not serve God with my life unless I have an emotional experience. He's not saying that. He's not saying, we will not go up unless we feel validated. That's not Moses' That's not Moses' prayer, he's saying. Unless your presence, unless you yourself are with us on the journey, we will not go. Now listen to this. This is the second part of his, uh, of his intercession to God. He says, For what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other peoples on the face of of the earth. Moses knows something, doesn't he? He says, what else will distinguish us from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I would submit to you that when we apply this to ourselves as the 160 odd people in this room, 
that nothing distinguishes us from all the other peoples on the earth, apart from the presence of God, God himself in our midst. Nothing distinguishes us. Not the marketing we use to bring our message, not the effectiveness with which we build our community. Nothing will distinguish us apart from the presence of God, real to us, present with us. And can you feel the purity of Moses' desire that his people would be known as the people of God? Moses is making a very strong connection here. He's saying who we are, our identity as a people is 100% tied to the presence of God with us. Who we are is the people among whom God is present. Yes, Lord, that that would be us as a church. All right. And now, now God feels compelled to answer yes again because Moses is still pushing on him. And listen to what God says this time to him. He says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. And I've just got to stop and talk about Jesus. I like the Old Testament, but man, I've got to stop and talk about Jesus, guys. These words, I am pleased with you and I know you by name, they are true of us because of Jesus. So Jesus did a work on the cross, made an end to enmity between us and God. And so because of what Jesus did on the cross, it is 100% true for you to say, God is pleased with me. To say, God knows my name. And I have found favor with him. For us to take on ourselves, that is the identity. And guys, there really are 7 billion people in the world. That is a big spreadsheet if you've ever tried to learn a lot of names, okay? But God knows your name. He knows your name. When you come to him like Moses is coming to God, he listens to you because he knows your name. He takes pleasure in hearing you talk to him. Now, here's the craziest part of all of this, like the most fuse-blowing part of this whole part of the Bible. Moses has successfully won God over. Not just won God over to, yes, you can still inherit the land, but won God all the way over to, my presence will go with you. I am pleased with you. I know you by name. They're on it together again. But Moses has spent 32 chapters already making intercession for the people of God. He goes one step further here. I mean, Moses has been up on the, he's been up on this mountain long enough that people are like, we don't know what happened to him. Okay? You'd think maybe after he finishes this most powerful intercessory moment, he's going to be like, I'm going to go see my wife and kids. I hope they're doing okay. Uh-uh. Moses, the next words out of his mouth. I can't believe this. He says, now show me your glory. He says, show me your glory. I mean, the audacity of that prayer. This is a dangerous prayer. 
okay? Show me your glory. This is not like a, yeah, you know, oh, here's a little prayer for the day. Show me your glory, you know? This is a big prayer. This is a big thing to say to the face of God. Show me your glory. And of all times, to choose to ask God for that. It was right after God had forgiven them and said, you are right with me again. Moses doesn't spend an hour groveling. He says, now show me your glory. And the big secret here is lessons in the life of Moses. Here's here's the lesson. God wants Moses to pray this prayer. God wants to show his glory to Moses. And God wants to show his glory to us. And everything begins from this place of knowing God and intimacy. We live like Moses with a sense of desperate need for the presence of God. But our desperate need isn't anything in and of itself. Thank you for Jesus, God, that we can know you in an intimate way. That you know our name, that that we found favor with you. That we have a place to stand up in our life and say, God, show me your glory. I'm going to invite the band to come up. All right, so what are are our lessons in the life of Moses? What is our application from all that we've looked at in the book of Exodus? Well, I I want to cue in here. You know, there are different ways for us to respond to God, but I I feel that today the way for us to respond to God is for us to take the prayers that Moses prayed to God, to make them our own, and to pray them to God. You want to lead people into freedom from captivity? Let's live a life like Moses. You want to see God face to face? You want to talk to him like a friend? Let's live a life like Moses lived. So here are the three things that we're going to tap into in this passage of Scripture. First, we're going to pray the prayer of Moses that says, it says, show me your way. It says, if you are pleased with me, would you just teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you? That's a prayer for today. It's a prayer to know God more. It's a place to start and it's a place to always come back to. Show me your way so that I may know you and may continue to find favor with you. And the second prayer that God brings to us uh, through this passage, Moses says, unless your presence will go up with us, Do not send us up from here. It's reorienting yourself around the priorities and vision for your life and saying, God, I don't even want to live the life that that I'm living unless your presence is going to go up with me and do this. I don't even want to fight for the promises that you gave me unless your presence is going to go up with me. It's this, this spirit that says, do not send us up from here unless your presence is going with us. I will not let you go until you bless me. And the third prayer, the third and most dangerous prayer, 
It's so simple. Just to, to gaze at God in your heart and say, would you show me your glory? Would you just show me your glory, God? I mean, it's so simple, but it's so powerful. Would you show us your glory, God? We love you. We want to see you the way that you are. Would you show us your glory? So now we're going to respond as a church. The band's going to going to play and we're going to make space so Moses went up on a mountain to be with God for so long that people forgot what he was doing this room is a space where you can go and do what you need to do to go and meet with God Jesus has made it a lot easier to get into God's presence so this space up here in front it's available for you you can come and praise God we don't have to do anything at all to get into the presence of God it is in this room right now And so this is a time for us to engage with these three prayers of the heart, for you to cry out to God, to transact with him today. In Jesus' name, Lord, bring us into your presence. Would you make it easy for us to feel what you are doing? Thank you for who you are. We cry out to you. Show us your way. If your presence doesn't go with us, Lord, we are not gonna go. Would you show us your glory?